I'm Elaine Shannon. I'm Dana Lloyd. Welcome to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast where we inspire and empower you to connect more soulfully to yourself. In this episode of Soul Sister Conversations, we speak with Linda Stewart, a life cycle celebrant who crafts transformational ceremonies. We talk about modern funerals, how funerals are for the living, not the dead, and the importance of ceremony and ritual. All right, Elaine, I am actually excited about this one. Well, we're always excited. We're always excited. So today we have Linda Stewart with us from Toronto. Yay. And she's a life cycle celebrant, speaker, and writer. Thank you for joining us today, Linda, in our conversation. Welcome to Soul Sister Conversations, Linda. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be chatting with you ladies today. Well, we haven't touched on this topic yet. And, you know, I'm really sort of naming it, you know, death rituals and closure. (laughs) Or, you know, yours is funerals, death and dying. So this is a topic that we really haven't touched on yet. I I know. And I I have to tell you that I was was, uh, running around yesterday well, I was driving around Toronto and as if you know if you've been to Toronto which I know you have you don't you don't drive very quickly so I had your I had your podcast on I think it was your latest the latest one and it was about sex and I yes. thought oh boy I'm following the sex podcast <laughs> Oh, I don't funny. know. I don't know if these ladies are really tackling all the taboos at once, right? <laughs> but you know what? I, th- I, Linda, I think it's critical that we have these conversations. Women need to have them, not just you know with our with a couple girlfriends. I think we need to have them in the broader spectrum of conversation. Yeah. And so, I'd love to share with the listeners how we met you, which is awesome. So, Ruth Marshall came on, and after the the call, Ruth said, "Wait, you need to talk to my friend." Linda, um, who does this really cool life cycle celebrant stuff. And I mean, we're, we're in the Maritimes, Linda. So it's not something that you hear about here. It's mostly, did you have it at the chapel at the funeral parlor? Or, you know, are you going to the church? Like people here are not thinking proactively about, about their, uh, about their funerals, right? Or their end of life celebrations. Yep. It's so true. And yeah. we do need to talk about it. it. It happens to all of us, just like we're all born, we're all going to die. And when you think about how much preparation we do uh, for birth, <laughs> right? right. Um, we're talking about it, we're taking classes, we're learning how to breathe, we're reading books, we're watching shows. I mean, there's so much preparation. And uh, and when it comes to death, it's, it's just one of those things that, you know, if we talk about it, it might actually happen. And it's going to happen so we might as well talk about it (laughs) what is a celebrant what is it that you do so a a celebrant is a type of officiant so when you think about going to a funeral you may be accustomed to seeing uh, a minister or or a priest or or a clergy a clergy person so a celebrant is a is a type of officiant and Anybody can really decide that they would like to be a celebrant. It's not a regulated uh, title. So depending on the type of training that you have, that will determine your your title. And I'm a life cycle celebrant. I've had I've had extensive training in the in the creation of ceremonies. And um, so that's really what and, and typically celebrants are sort of filling that gap between religious ceremonies and non-religious because for a long time people thought, well, I'm not religious, so we're not, I don't want a funeral. And the two are not, um, you know, they don't, you don't need one to have the other. They're really not related. So I think celebrants are really helping to sort of bridge that gap and give those people that don't think they have a place or don't know where Mm -hmm. they fit a place, a place to go and, 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 um, and a beautiful ceremony that's meaningful, that's full of rituals, that's all about the person, and maybe not always about God. But saying that, you know, there are people that that have contacted me who want me to create a ceremony for them, and they are somewhat religious, and they do want God to be included in the ceremony, and that's totally fine too. So my approach is always what I my beliefs are irrelevant. It's not about me. It's all about you. What's going to bring you comfort? What's the most authentic? Um, what's going to resonate? Mm. And, and you and said so that every yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. sorry. Go <laughs> I was just going to say every ceremony that I approach is is truly created 
from scratch. So there's not, it's, it's, you know, I don't have a binder full of, um, full of ceremonies and say, okay, this one will work for this guy because he likes golf and this one, oh yeah, she liked to garden a little bit. We go much, much deeper than, you know, a person's hobbies in life and really get to the heart of, you know, who they are, why their life mattered, what can we, what have they left us and, and what are we going to take forward in our own lives? What have, what have they taught us? And so every ceremony from beginning to end is really, um, is really created um, for that person. So it's, it's an involved process. <laughs> mm. And you said that, um, or I read that you, you're true, that you found your true calling as a celebrant at 40. What happened at 40 that made you go down this path? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. My father, my father had a, a business in the funeral industry. I guess he was a, uh, he manufactured a cemetery product that he sold. And, uh, I was, uh, very reluctant to get involved <laughs> in his business for many, many years. And then uh, at around the age of 40, I did. And I was actually out one day chatting with a funeral director. And we were talking about current trends in funerals. And he said, you know, Linda, one of the most concerning trends that I'm seeing is this trend not to have a funeral or anything at all. And I was... Um, was quite disturbed by this. I said, well, what do you mean? Like, why, why don't, when someone we love dies, don't we need, don't we need to have something? Don't we need to, to take our feelings somewhere? Don't we need that, that, don't we need something? And he said, well, I think we do. But the problem is, you know, we've become, our society is changing. We're becoming much more secular. We've got blended families and, and people don't really fit anymore in, in the boxes that, that we had created for them a long time ago. And, um, and they just don't, they don't feel that they don't know what to do. So they do nothing. And that really upset me because I'm one of those people. I, I have one of those families where I was like, oh, well, what would I do? What, what will I, what, what, what would my family do if I were to die? What would, what will I do if, when my parents die? And so I, I sort of dug a little deeper and I said, well, what are we going to do about this? And he said, well, there are these new kinds of officiants that we're just hearing about. And again, this is 14 years ago. I'm 54 now. So and he said, we're just starting to hear about these kinds of these new kind of officiants are called celebrants. And, um, and I was like, whoa, tell me more. And that was kind of my light bulb moment. And I was standing next to my husband and my brother and they both turned and looked at me and said, that's you. And so I just, I just knew that I could do I could do better for people. And, um, and I love writing and I love connecting. I love storytelling. I love digging deep in stories and trying to figure out what do they really mean? I love, um, I just, I just love the idea of, of, of taking someone's life and, and transforming that into a meaningful ceremony that, that just, um, really honors and pays tribute to, to the meaning of why we're all here. So that's kind of how it happened. You're and now I do this full time. <laughs> now this is your gig for weddings, funerals, baby births, everything. Yes, although I do I do specialize in funerals, but I have done I, I've done a number of weddings. I've done a number of baby ceremonies, and you name it, you can have a ceremony. Um, but funerals are really what uh, what I feel called the most to to do. Now, was that because your your family is in the funeral business or in the death business? Were you a kid who was fascinated by death? Uh, I was a kid who was scared by death, hmm. and I was a kid who, like, we we talked about it a lot. But uh, not so much the, mm, mm, how do I explain this? Death was around me all the time, but it wasn't something, I have British parents, need I say more? So um, <laughs> so we talked, but we didn't, if you know what I mean. Yes, <laughs> it was a very surface, it was a surface conversation. Very surface conversation. And were you, we don't talk about things that are uncomfortable. Were you the, were you the kind of kid that was brought to funerals often with your parents? No, because oh. my, my, no, not at, not at all. In fact, because my, uh, you know, they, they both came over here from, from Glasgow. Uh. So most of the, the family and the connections, a lot of them were, were there. So no, it wasn't something, funerals were very mysterious and dark and sad and, um, and just, uh, not something that I really, uh, was all that interested in. But then because I was looking at it as a funeral, but when you look at it as, 
a time to really understand the meaning of someone's life. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that delivered in, a, in an engaging and interesting and meaningful way, we walk away from funerals and a good funeral anyway, and, and we can feel really different and really transformed and really inspired to move forward and live our best life because it does kind of knock knock us into reality it really does have a way of i mean when you leave a funeral do you not do you not come home and feel different and maybe hug your kids a little tighter or mm-hmm. Just yeah. be nicer for a few days. Well, it's true. It tuned you a little <laughs> bit. And the shifting priorities, which, so here's an interesting, and I love how this happens. So when we first connected, I had suggested that you go and find one of our episodes to have to have a listen to see what we're all about. And you randomly picked an episode and we were talking about a funeral. Yes. So I, I just think that like that is so beautiful that, I mean, you know, you had at that point probably 40 some episodes to choose from and you chose that one. Yeah. We have a lot yeah, of woo-woo just, moments on somebody the show. Had just, one of you, was it Dana? No, it was, it was Elaine. Yeah. We, I had been to the, Elaine. Okay. my brother-in-law's father. And so I was sitting there, you know, at the funeral thinking about all of the people around me who had just lost people recently. And it was, for me, it was a priority reset. Yeah, I think that's what I called it. Like it was, a, you know, an opportunity to really think about what's important. Did it last? Oh, oh, oh yes. Yeah, I'm the queen of priorities. I really, uh, I really have drilled down to what's essential and what's important and all of those things. And I, I get clearer every day about who and what and how I spend my time and who it's with and those sorts of things. But this whole, my curiosity about your celebrations, because I I was brought up Catholic. So our celebrations that I've traditionally attended, you know, are kind of mournful. I mean, they're, they're beautiful, but sad. Mm. And they're not really celebrations. No, like they just recently, they'll (laughs) allow you to get up and talk about the person that passed. But I've said to my yeah. family, that's not how I, I want to be exited. Like I, I'm thinking, you know, a party and I want to be turned into a tree because you can do that now. And, and so, yes. <laughs> and my parents just look at me in horror, but I thought this is my life and I get to have a choice. And until I met you, I didn't know how to do this. And so you're helping to fill like the gap, as you talked about, filling the gap for somebody who I'm, I am spiritual. I believe in a higher power and we'll call that God. Like I have, have all of those things, but I don't know how to make that happen at the end. Right. Enter Linda, (laughs) which circle back around. Yeah. Because you mentioned, you said, you know, if it's a good funeral, describe for me what a good funeral is in in your eyes or, you know, what you do. Well, we're just just to kind of step back for one second. You you made a comment about you know you want a party and a celebration, and I yes. think that we have seen we have seen a lot of shift away from let's not have anything formal, let's just have the party, and and that's a great uh, I think that's a great part two to something. But I still feel, uh, and of course I'm very biased, but I still feel that having that sort of dedicated hour or whatever amount of time that ceremony is gives people that bubble to be in together. And uh, it's, I think that a good funeral does a number of things. I think a good funeral is, is allows a space for all emotions to be expressed and acknowledged. And I'm not just talking the happy ones because there is an overemphasis now on, I want everyone to be happy when I die because I had such a great life. And that's a great thought. And ultimately that is what we want because life has to go on, life has to win, but someone that, someone that we love died, and that, that, that is sad, that no matter what, you can't, and if you can't feel that emotion on a, on a particular day with other people who are also feeling it, then when, when is it safe to feel it? So I say, you know what, I don't go out of my way to make funerals happy, but I don't go out of my way to make them sad either. I say, you know what, it is, this is, this is, and we're going to have moments just like life. We're going to have moments of joy and moments of sorrow and, and we're going to laugh and we're going to cry and we're just going to, and that's when I think we feel the most human when Mm. we, when we have that full spectrum of emotion. So a good funeral allows a space, a safe space for everyone to feel um, that they can express themselves. It also allows for 
beautiful connection. I think it, it's the time when we feel connected as human beings. And it's one of the few times where we actually still, generally speaking, come together uh, physically and are, you know, can give each other real hugs and, and not just virtual ones all over Facebook. So I think that's really important. And I think it's a, just a time to real gives us a chance to, like you said earlier, assess our own lives and where we're going mm. and repri- reprioritize. It's, of course, a time to honor a life that that lived and to really understand what did that life what did that life bring to this world and what can we take from it and what what will always um, what have they yeah what have they left what have they what did what was the meaning of their life and I think that a good funeral just helps us walk away feeling grateful great mm-hmm. I think gratitude is the biggest thing grateful for life grateful for this particular life that we were blessed to have in our life and and um, and yeah grateful for just being here. So, yeah. Yeah. You said that one of the things that you do or those funerals is understand the meaning of someone's life. Now, that's something that not everyone gives thought to as they live in their life. Yeah. Is that the role that you play as a celebrant is that you actually point out the meaning of this person's life so that people walk away feeling good? Because people don't always sometimes understand what their meaning is or what their place was, unfortunately, until they pass. And then the people around them go, oh, I realize that mattered more. You know, so is that your role to help yeah. them understand the meaning? Because I think that would be a very beautiful gift to give someone. I do. I, I- I think it just sort of organically happens. I don't necessarily go into it that way, but I think with getting to know the person who's, so generally speaking, when when somebody dies, you know, a family will call me, I will go and meet with them in person. That's, that's, that's the um, most often that's what happens. And that's what I prefer to happen. I mean, um, video calling is great, but it doesn't replace sitting in a living room with people. So I do like to get a few people, uh, a few of the close family members and maybe friends together. And we just share, we just have a really beautiful conversation and they have the job of helping me know this person that they've loved. And they may not share some of the stories that they're sharing at that time because they're sharing them with me. And they, you know, they, they might be old stories that everybody knows and they've heard a hundred times, but they have to actually help me understand this person. So, so oftentimes I think, you know, we grow up with things just the way they are and we sort of, they lose their impact. The stories maybe even lose their impact. And then I'm able to hear it for the first time. And I'll often say back, well, that sounds a lot like whatever, you know, or it sounds like she was very whatever. And they're like, oh my goodness. Yeah, you're right. I never really thought of it that way before. And so I think it's sort of, I think it's, I think it evolves over time. I think the day of the funeral, oftentimes people's eyes are opened to things and events and qualities that they, that they didn't think about before in that way. And then I think afterwards they go away and I think it just, I think the, I think the meaning of our lives is, is ever evolving. I don't know that we, I don't know that we can really ever understand the meaning of our own life. I think Mm. the meaning of our life is the way that other people perceive it. Mm. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah. How other people perceive it. I'll have to think about that. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I'm writing that one down. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No, that was, no, that, that's, that's it. That's an interesting perspective. And, and one of the things that I, you know, if people want to read more about, you know, death and dying and rituals, you have a lot of great blogs on your website at Linda Stewart. And one of the things that Elaine tells me drives you crazy is the word closure. <laughs> and so you say closure is not the goal of a funeral. So if that's not the goal, because people throw that word closure around a lot, what is the point, you know, of a funeral? What are we supposed to get from it if it's not closure? Or can we get closure? Uh, well, I guess it really does depend on your definition of closure, closure, but I, I personally have never liked that word as a, as a, as a means for your, as a motive for having a funeral. And you do hear it a lot. Oh, we need to have a funeral because we need closure. And I'm like, well, how are you expecting to feel the day after? Because I, I, you know, you may feel different, but what is that? When I hear the word closure, I, I, I think of a, one, a, a door closing, gone, done, shut, mm. and then we're moving on. And I just don't think that 
when someone we love and that's been important in our lives dies, that it's possible to mm. feel that. I think, I think funerals are about opening right. and that's how I visualize it. A, you know, a good, a good funeral opens a door so that you can start walking through it and getting to the other side of life without this person. It helps you accept that, um, you know, that someone we love is no longer physically in the world. It helps us transition into how do we, how do we still live without them? Like, how do we create this new, this new normal of life without them? And I think acceptance is a big part of it, but I think it's um, just opening our eyes, opening our arms, opening our hearts to start acknowledging that life will go on. And life, life does go on, right? It yeah. does go on. So I think that's what, um, that's my short version of the answer. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I, I, ha- I had an experience recently with my husband. Well, his mother died three years ago and, and I officiated the, the funeral. And, uh, you know, he, even he who lives with me, who <laughs> hears me talk all the time about you know, this word called closure, even he was waiting for this day when he was going to wake up and magically feel back to normal. And he couldn't understand why he just still felt so sad. You know, eight months later, he still felt so sad. And I was like, honey, your mom died, you know, and he loved his mother and he, he still loves his mother and he was incredibly close to her and, and he's an only child. And so there was a lot of stuff going on there. And and she was a big part of our life. She wasn't just someone that we saw at Christmas and Thanksgiving. I mean, she was uh, very, very involved in our lives and our children's lives. So it was a huge, there's a huge void and it's still there. It will always be there. But, um, you know, there's just this, just with time, you know, we start, you, you it, it just, you just need time. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when I think of that word closure, and when we had our initial conversation on the phone, I I just had this sort of a ha while I was sitting here and you were talking is that I think as human beings, we want to put the pain somewhere. And so I think yes. I see closure as a box that we open, right? And then so after the funeral, we throw the pain inside the box, close it up, and that's called closure. And I think that that's what people want is for the for the pain to not be there. And so by saying I'm having closure, um, that that might do it and and so recently my husband and I went for a drive out to the country I don't even know how we ended up there but we were supposed to be there and my to the little tiny church where my grandparents are buried and so my grandparents lived with us most of my life so they'd be like my second parents I was the oldest grandchild and I re and then I had a flashback back to when they both passed away and I was like oh I'm handling this great because I'm on this spiritual journey and I can handle you know, this and I'm strong. And I don't remember crying hard when they both died. And so there I was on my knees at the gravesite, cleaning off their, their uh, gravestone. And I am like, I'm crying from the depths of my soul. Mm. And all of a sudden it was like, I hadn't given myself permission to to cry because everybody was I'm gonna cry now because everybody was looking at me because I'm the strong one so at the funeral parlor I was cracking jokes and at the funeral I was like you know everything's fine I mean at one point we were laughing my aunt was in the front row so it's her dad I guess I'm gonna tell the story now I was gonna tell you after but so my aunt's in the front row I'm in the row behind her and the priest came out to do the final prayers, and he said, now we're going to pray over our brother Burton. And nobody told me he sounded like Elmer Fudd. And so my, <laughs> oh, and here we are in the oh, big, sorry. I know. So the, And that's exactly what happened, Linda. So here we are in the big Catholic church, and my aunt is on her knees. And her shoulders are shaking. I know she's laughing. Yep. So this is her father and his funeral. And so I start laughing. And so I threw my head into my sister-in-law's armpit. And so Brenda's, <laughs> Brenda's losing it. I'm losing it. We are laughing so hard, but everybody thinks we're crying because that's what you expect. <laughs> right? And so oh that, goodness. I know. So these are the things that happen. And so after the funeral, we're downstairs having our, you know, tainted egg salad sandwiches. And somebody said to mom, oh, Elaine was having a really hard time. And then mom said to me after you were having a really hard time, I said, you have no idea. I was laughing. And then my aunt Brenda said, I was laughing too. 
right? So all of a sudden, so so when I thought I was going to be crying at the funeral, I was laughing. And then there I was 10 years later at the gravesite, just bawling. Absolutely. Yeah. And my husband sat in the car and I just went there and had my good old cry. And then I went, okay, thank you. I needed that. I've been holding that in for so long. And I think, maybe, and I think that's yeah. one of the reasons why we say, I say, you know, they Funerals don't have to be sad, but they don't have to be happy either. So sometimes when we try to just divert, nobody wants to feel sad anymore. It's like this, it's something wrong with us if we're sad. And it's really, uh, it's not, it's, you know, it's not a disease unless of course you're clinically depressed, but being sad is part of life. And I guess, I guess for you, you just, you didn't, the funeral didn't give you that, that space to feel that other than, you know, it was, it was quite, quite funny. (laughs) It was like, seriously, all I could see when I had my eyes closed was this guy with the gun going, we're going to get a wabbit, you know, and it's the priest. And I said to mom, like, you could have told me he had a speech impediment. She said, I never thought. (laughs) You need to prepare people for these things. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So closure comes a different time. (laughs) Well, like it's right. It's that box you want to put the pain in, but you can't. You can't put the pain. You can't tuck it away somewhere. Well, and I think to your point to Linda, when you're talking about we have to feel the feelings that it it isn't always because you said, I think, in one of your blogs, you know, you may want to have a party, uh, but you might need a funeral. Like and Mm -hmm. it's that idea of because I think as a society, you know, not everybody's families are like this, but. Where do you see people crying in front of each other where people can let out their, their, all of that pain and you do it safely because it's all, it's expected at a funeral that you would be sad. So it feels like it's an opportunity sort of to explore those emotions. It isn't always, of course, we think about the, you know, the good times and we think about, oh, they would love this right now. Um, But there's a deep sense of, of sadness that comes along with losing a loved one. And I think I think for a very long time, people have felt unsatisfied with the general funeral model. Mm. And I think that they have I think that what has come out from that is that, well, the, the, the funeral model was we are all sad and crying. But I don't necessarily think that that's what people were having the problem with. I think right. that's what they've sort of zoned in on. And so we don't we don't like we don't like traditional funerals because everybody's crying. So we're going to do something completely the opposite. But what I what I think people don't like about a lot of funerals that they've potentially been to is that because is that they're they just don't resonate they're not authentic it doesn't who are have you ever left a funeral and and said to somebody in the car on the way home what was that who what right. who who's fu- were we at the right funeral <laughs> did we go to the wrong was it the wrong day like what was that and I think that's where people were feeling this disconnect and this, mm-hmm. um, you know, dissatisfaction with the whole that, like, where is the value in that? I and mean, then we were becoming such a smart, we're a smart society. We do our homework, we do our research and people want experiences. They don't want to be told this is what you have to do. This mm-hmm. is what you should do. People want, you know, I mean, we live in this society now where our differences are celebrated when I was growing up, I wanted to just be the same as everybody else. I wanted to blend in and I wanted the same running shoes, the same jeans. The same, I wore the same perfume. We all smelled the same in grade nine because we were all wearing, <laughs> you know, and, and, and now we live in this world where it's like, you know what? I'm different and I'm proud of it. And I'm going to, I'm not going to try to shy away from that. So we live these authentic, unique lives and we don't want to have the same funerals as everybody else, which makes perfect sense. So I think, I think we've sort of zoned in on the fact that we don't want a funeral to be sad, thinking that that's what the problem, problem. was. But I don't necessarily think that that was what the problem was. Mm. I think you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. yeah, with that one. So, what are your general observations about funerals? What are people wanting? You know, what, that they were dissatisfied before. What What is they they yearning for <laughs> for their funerals? Uh, like I said earlier, they they want something that's unique. They want something that is all about them. They want a ritual, for instance. Uh, one of my favorite parts of creating a ceremony is is when we start talking about rituals because when people hear the word ritual, they think of oh, you know, we'll light a candle, or they 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 go back to church, or they go back to maybe 
cultural traditions that they're not really sure why they're doing what they're doing, but they're doing it anyway. And it's kind of lost its meaning. So I like sort of stripping that all away and saying, okay, let's just look at this particular person and say, what was important to them? What did they love to do? How did they spend their time? Um, how would they want you to feel? And then we'll together, we'll create um, a ritual that hopefully involves as many people um, in the family as we can. I, I always try to do something in a ceremony where everybody can be involved. So, um, okay, I'll give you an example. Thank you. Uh, yeah. I was just thinking I'd love an example. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a couple. So Jean, Jean loved to, Jean was a lovely lady, grandma, everybody adored her. And she had such a sweet tooth. Uh, she was always, uh, dessert was her favorite. Oh, she always had dessert every meal of the day. She wanted dessert and she was always baking. Couldn't, loved birthdays, loved any kind of celebrations that, that involved baking. So we had, um, a ritual at her at her funeral ceremony we had a round high top table and we had these beautiful big um, decorated cupcakes surround like in a circle uh, on the perimeter of the table and on the inside of the table we had a large pillar candle that we lit at the beginning of the ceremony to symbolize her life and the brightness that she brought to the world so the candle really was was her. She was represented by this candle. And there was a cupcake for every member of her family. And so I had them all come up and form a circle around the table. And of course, Jean's candle was in the middle of the table. And inside in each of their cupcakes was a candle and that they took out of their cupcake and they used Jean's candle to light their candle, put it back in their cupcakes. And then we had a little moment um, talking about, you know, circle of love and then at the end of the ceremony, um, we invited her grandchildren to come up. And on the count of three, because she loved birthdays, she loved birthday parties and birthday celebrations, we had the grandchildren blow the candles out, and we all made a wish. So that's like just a really sweet, simple that's, example of something that we could do. That's yeah. a fabulous example. That's beautiful. And, and, and really talk about making meaning from something. I had goosebumps from head to toe as you were saying that. Um, because I resonate with the baking and, and I thought that's a terrific yeah. idea. How to, a great way to honor someone really bringing the things that they love into the ceremony. And, and the people that she loved because her favorite thing besides dessert, well, her favorite thing <laughs> period was being surrounded by her family. So just yeah. the simple, just the simple, like the visual of her family being in a circle and holding hands around her, like, you yeah. know, the candle that represented her, that was also bringing into, into, um, into view what was most important to her, that it was the little things, the simple things in life, being around family and having dessert. <laughs> wow. I think if there's anything people will be walking away with today, they'll be thinking about new ways to honor themselves uh, when they pass yeah. away. Because, yeah. you know, this is so, it's such a departure. I, I grew up in the Catholic church. I mean, you didn't even have eulogies. You know, the priest know. would say a few words about the person, but they may not necessarily really have known the person. And I, it, was, it was just so rote, right? So it was a ceremony, but it was an unfeeling ceremony with the same Ave Maria and the <laughs> Amazing Grace and yeah. everybody's bawling their eyes out, you know? And, uh, no, there's lots yeah. of lots of things we can do, and you can you can only plan. Well, I did a funeral last Sunday for a, a lovely man named John, who, um, among many passions, one of them was sailing. Uh, he loved being actually he loved being on water, whether it was at the cottage or on rafting a sailboat. He just loved he loved the water, and so we had a uh, we had a large um, we had a large clear bowl filled with water that we had. Um, colored blue so it really did look like the ocean and then we had these candles special little candles that i don't know if you've seen these that when you, you drop them in water and they kind of come to life they're no. they illuminate they don't they don't require a flame oh, wow. so we had a large we had a large candle that we placed in the water um, that his um, his wife placed in the water at the very beginning of the ceremony. And then we had a ritual where we had this beautiful choir that was singing We Rise Again, which is a very powerful piece yes. of music. And we had all the family members came up, and I had smaller candles there that they all placed in the water while this music was playing. And 
they all came to life. So he had John's candle floating in the center and then all these little candles representing his family floating around him. And visually, again, that was really quite, it's quite powerful um, to see this, to see this water just light up with, with the light that he, that he brought to the world. So yeah, this is another example of, yeah. Yeah, that's me. How how are you impacted uh, by officiating these funerals? Like, if you were scared of death as a child, how do you feel about death now? <laughs> well, I, I don't so much think about it as death as I do as life. I think that's been the shift in me mm-hmm. that I've realized that, that funerals are not not for the dead, they're for the living. So I think my I don't focus a whole lot on how they died, why they died. I really do tend to foc- focus more on how they lived Mm. and so I don't dwell too much on that although saying that sometimes the cause of death um, can be sort of the elephant in the room that does need to be addressed so that people can kind of move on from that and get to the life part you know Mm. so in the case of suicide or um, you know accidents uh, difficult difficult death circumstances that does need to be addressed but there's sometimes a way of saying things without really saying them that satisfies people so that then they can let their mind kind of move on to the next, the next place. Right. Um, but, you know, you said something, I, you said something a minute ago, I'm not sure if it was, if it was Dana or Elaine about, you know, it's giving me, giving me a chance to think about all the ways that my life can be, you know, memorialized. And, and that's great. I, I'm always an advocate for people thinking about, that because it's it's a good it's it's an important conversation to have with your family but i i'm approached almost at the end of every funeral at least one person will come up to me and say i want you to do my funeral can we start working together can we can we get it done and i say well we can start it we can start it but yours but your story is still happening right we can't do it you're not done yet you're right you may have a new hobby that you want to incorporate but but they always want it. They say, well, you know, I, I want something like this. And I say, well, you can have something similar, but it's not, it's about you. It's not about, so, and I also <laughs> like to make people very aware that, you know, your funeral is about you, but it's not for you. Right. So we always oh, have yes. to consider, we always have to consider what, what the people who are waking up tomorrow without you, what, what do they need? What do they want? What are, what's going to bring them comfort? Because you're gone. And, uh, and that part, you're gone. So what do we need to do to help them wake up tomorrow and be okay? Um, so you can, you can sort of put, I always say to people, let's, we can work on a blueprint. So <laughs> I've worked with people a number of times where, you know, we'll, we'll sit down and we'll spend time together and I'll ask them a bunch of questions and we'll, we'll brainstorm and we'll put together the blueprint of what they kind of want. But there's lots of space in there and that space is intentional because I need their loved ones to fill that in and ultimately if the loved ones really really want something then that's 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 where I have to kind of I have to kind of go in that direction it's really (laughs) that's a good point Linda because I'm, I'm thinking about instances where there hasn't been a funeral or a ceremony or anything because that's Mm -hmm. what the person who who passed Mm -hmm. wanted but the family <laughs> yeah, is, is the one so that that happened uh, a, a few years ago. I had a, a girlfriend, a high school friend, call me, and uh, everyone calls me when there's a death because that's Lin- yeah, you just call Linda. So she said, Linda, you know my my mom died. It was sudden. We weren't expecting it, and we found a note in her drawer that says, "When I die, don't do anything. No funeral." And she was really upset because she'd never had the opportunity to have that conversation with her mother. And she said, how do I have no funeral? How do I do nothing? Like, I loved my mother. I I want the whole world to know what she meant to me. And if I do nothing, it it makes it seem like she was nothing. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, what I want you to do, Judy, is just pretend that you're talking to your mother right now and tell her what you just told me and listen for her answer. And so she said, you know what? My mother would never deny me anything that I need um, to 
to go on with life. Like my happiness was, was, was her number one priority. So she went back and talked to her sister and her father who were not quite as on board, but they did, they did compromise and had a visitation at least. So they did have some sort of form of gathering where people could come and share stories and she could get real hugs and, mm-hmm. and, um, and feel supported. And it was so powerful that her father, her father seeing the effects that just that little visitation had for her daughters, for his daughters, uh, he said, you know what, I, I had a, I had a don't do anything uh, plan also, but you just do whatever you need to do. Because he realized at that point that it really wasn't, it wasn't about, it's not for him. And I think that people say these things out of, um, you know, it's coming from a very good place. It's coming from, a, I don't, I don't want to burden you. I burdened you enough in life. I don't want to burden you in death. And I don't want you to spend money. And I don't want you to feel that you need to go to any trouble. And your life is so busy. And I'm nothing special. So don't make a fuss. And really, when someone we love dies, sometimes we want to make a fuss. And we need to do something. So I always caution people against telling their families. Like, oh, you know, I told them just to throw me off a bridge and do nothing. It's, it's like, no, no, it's really not up to you. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because yes. my mother passed away it'll be almost three years ago, and that's what she wanted, no funeral. Now, she had a mm-hmm. wake, we, so we got to see everybody and so on. But at the end of the, the wake, we had prayers, a priest had come in, and the priest basically opened it up like, you know, does anybody want to say anything? And I literally felt compelled. You know, I hadn't prepared anything. I didn't even know that was happening. And I said, I'll say something. And so, you know, there was probably 40 people there and I felt compelled to say something in that moment about my mother because I thought, gosh, when else are you going to do it? But I knew that she didn't want a funeral and I never thought nothing of it. I thought about honoring her wishes. But in the moment when you're feeling the grief, I felt compelled to say something. So yeah, Yeah. it is for the living. And and, you know, not everybody wants to get up and public speak, uh, but, you know, and there might be other opportunities for people to share, but it might be over the reception or the, you know, having a cup of tea oh, and, and reminiscing. There's lots of lots of ways to participate and still be heard, even if your voice is not necessarily right. heard. And this is something that I hear all the time. People say, oh, my gosh, I couldn't possibly get up and speak. You know, what if I cry? And I say, uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Okay. What if you cry? That's, you know, it's okay. You know, there's, if we're going to become, get to the point where we're weeping and we can't speak. Okay. But that's what I'm for. I'll say, look, why don't you prepare something? And if you can do it the day of, that's great. If you can't, I'll do it for you. Mm-hmm. And if you can come up and stand next to me. So I, I did one funeral where this, the, 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 the gentleman whose, whose wife died, he, he prepared a letter to his wife and he got up and he said, Linda, when I, if I wink at you, if I wink at you, it means I need your help. So he made it to the very last paragraph, and then he started winking at me. So I got up, and I stood beside him, and I held his hand, and I read the last paragraph for him. So he still got a chance to, you know, to do that. Mm-hmm. So it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a deterrent that I'm going to cry, um, but it also, it also doesn't mean that your words can't be heard in some form, even right. if it's not you speaking. Right. So. Oh, that makes sense. There was something you had in your bio that, Linda, I thought was interesting. Um, it says, uh, Linda was inspired by the Death, Death Cafe movement to found Toronto Talks Death, which illuminates her belief that we as humans can't come close to understanding the meaning of life without exploring the reality of death. Mm. Tell, tell us about so do you know these. Do you know what a death cafe no, is? No. <laughs> no, remember we live in the Maritimes. <laughs> Toronto talks death. That sounds interesting. Right. So tell us. So, so death cafe was, is a movement that's, I want to say it's probably been around now for seven or so years. I know I start, I did my first death cafe about over six years ago in Toronto. So it's, it sounds really scary, doesn't it? Well, it, yes, it sounds a bit intimidating. Yes. It's actually, it's, it's, the idea, um, the idea came from a fellow in, in England by the name of John Underwood, who, it's interesting, too, that he's British, but he realized that, you know, we, we really do need, need time and space to talk about this thing called death that nobody wants to talk about. And he realized that it's oftentimes easier for people to talk to strangers about it than it is your close family. And that makes perfect sense. 
So basically, a death cafe is anywhere. It's not a. It's not a. It's not an actual building with a name death cafe. <laughs> it can be. There are little pop ups, and they can appear anywhere, and you can have them in the living room, whatever. And basically, it's small groups of people who get together and potentially sitting at a table or on a couch, and just for the sole purpose of talking about death. And it, it intrigued me because I thought this is something that we should be talking about more. So I, I've hosted a number of death cafes, and the model is that it that the conversation happens organically, and there is no speakers, and there's no um, there's no themes. It just you know it just goes wherever it goes. So that that was great. And then what what I found was people were coming to me after these events and saying that was really great, Linda. I really enjoyed that. But I would really love it if you could have an author come in and talk to us about grief. Or I would really love it if we could talk about dying with dignity. Or if I, you know, they they had all these, and I can't do that under the Deaf Cafe um, model. So that's why I branched off and formed a group called Toronto Talks Death, where we can have different people coming in and we can have themed events all around the topic of, you know, death, dying and, and funerals. So it's kind of interesting. Well, it's an interesting approach because death is usually a topic, you know, it's one of these taboo topics that people are uncomfortable with. They generally don't, um, you know, they generally don't speak of it and it can make other people uncomfortable when you, um, start talking about it. I, I know even from my own experience after my mother died, you know, the grief just hits you in waves and you might be speaking to someone, they go, how are you doing? And I feel like I launch into some story uh, that yeah. would make me cry, because, but it was my way of grieving, just making sense of it and talking it out. And some people are okay with it, but you can see a lot of people, but they just don't know what to do to console you. But for me, it was cathartic to talk about it and get it out of my system. Right. And, uh, and so I think there and, needs to be more conversation around death. There does. And, and I think the thing with Death Cafe is that a lot of people get confused about, too, is they, they think that it's uh, a place, like it's sort of like a, a grief therapy or something right. like that. Yeah. It's truly, it's really, it's really not. In fact, I, I will let people know that, you know, ahead of time, this is not this is not a grief support group. Right. I am not a trained, I'm not a trained grief therapist. So if you're, if you're an active grief right now, then death cafe may not be a place for you. It's interesting. There is so much life in the room at a death cafe. There is so much laughter in the room at a death cafe. It's really <laughs> quite, it's really quite interesting. So someone who comes to something like that, who's, you know, who's just lost someone, um, and, and comes to this event, they, they might feel like, what, 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 what is this? <laughs> What's this all about? So, so we want to be clear on that, but, um, I'm surprised that you've never heard of it. I bet you, if you Google it, there's probably someone out your way that's hosting. I don't know, I Linda. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Toronto's <laughs> ahead of us. We'll check uh, the Google on that. But there probably are groups that could be similar, but I know there's a lot of grief, uh, type groups like others, you're talking, yes. talking about, but, um, not where I, I haven't heard of where, it's um, all new to me. But, you know, there's probably someone, maybe somewhere. And who's listening Halifax here or, or has heard. Knows? And they yeah. can let us know on our Facebook page. Which would be very interesting. There you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on the Facebook. I'm curious. Um, how has being a celebrant changed you? By being around death, how has it changed who you are? You know, it's... We talked earlier about how you feel when you come home from a funeral mm -hmm. and most people don't, most people don't go to funerals that often. <laughs> and so that, that's why I asked you, did the feeling stick? Because it's kind of like when we go listen to a motivational speaker, you know, we come yes. back and we're all, you know, yes. we're all raring to go. And then a week later, we're, yeah. <laughs> you're back at your old <laughs> life. <laughs> that's right. And, and I think, you know, to some extent it, it, it happens, it happens, it's, it's life. But I think for me, I'm constantly getting that reminder and I've I've you know it just it just reaffirms that you know we're, we're not here for we're not here for a really long time and boy the older we get the faster it goes by we all know yes, that gosh and we yes. just never we just never know what happens we just never know what's going to happen but I think I think one of my biggest takeaways when I when I look at someone's life and when I hear the stories and the impact that they've had, it really does boil down to the little things really are the big things. Like that's my biggest takeaway is like the little things. And we all know that we all know that, but really just stopping to, to appreciate, um, 
you know, I, I, I love my family more. I, I mean, I always love my family, mm-hmm. but there's just, there's just something about just being grateful, just being grateful and recognizing those little moments of joy, because at the end of the day, that's what people were remembering. Mm. And that's where the, that's, that's, that's what it's all about. So it's, it's just, it's just a constant reminder of, um, the importance of our time here and that the relationships that we have are really what are really what matters. Mm. So spend your time wisely. <laughs> Love is all that matters, right? Sounds yeah. corny, but it's true. It's true. <laughs> well, that sounds like a good note to end on. Wow. Yeah. Wow. yeah. <laughs> so where can people get in touch with you? It's Linda-Stewart, S-T-U-A-R-T dot C-A. Is that the best place? That's right. Yeah. That's the best place. And, and I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, right. Um, yeah. So, but. Um, and you have a blog yeah, that people can yeah. subscribe to. Um, and I think that that's, that's right. as Dana mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, that you have a lot of beautifully written blog posts, mm-hmm. great resources that people can go to. And you have a guide that you have on your, <laughs> on your yeah, website. Yeah. So well, that, that sort of came to life uh, as a result of people asking me at the end of funerals, like, what can I do? I want to work with you. I want to, I, I want to, I want to start thinking about my funeral. And so the Soulscape Discovery Guide, when people subscribe uh, to my blog, they will receive that. And that's basically a, a downloadable, fillable PDF that people can start working on to really ask those questions and dig deep and, and help to discover really what what and who they're all about because that's the first that's my first step in creating uh, a meaningful goodbye for somebody is really understanding who they are so so it's kind of a yeah so they can go on my website and that will pop up in there and they can use that as their guide to start planning their funeral if they like awesome well linda this has been eye-opening eye-opening <laughs> amazing and also i i feel a sense of peace right now i mean mm. dane and i you know because we can see each other like between the two of us there's been goosebumps and i've had tingling around my head the temperature in the room change especially when you're talking about gene was it gene or joan Gene, I think. Gene? Both the baking. Gene. The baking. All the, the yeah. temperature in the room went down about 20 degrees. So I thought, wow, there's some people joining us as we have this conversation. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, it's yeah. all good. Anyways, it's been... You've given us lots to think about. And I think people will be taking away some, some good ideas. I know I'm walking away thinking about it a little bit differently. Yeah. And the importance of, of a fear knoll is for the living. You know, not the dead. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. sure. Well, thank you so much for your time, Linda. Thank you, Linda. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I really appreciate awesome. it. Bye-bye. I'm Dana Lloyd. And I'm Elaine Shannon. You've been listening to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast. You can connect with Dana at DanaLloydLeadership.com and you can connect with Elaine at ElaineShannon.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And join us for more Soul Sister Conversations. Thanks for listening.